Please rise for fun fact. Are we a court or a religion? Let's go. I feel I'm going to say we're a court. Okay. I think that's more facty. Fun fact. Yeah. Honey never spoils. I, yeah, I think that makes sense. Is it Does it? High sugar content. You know, I feel like there's sugary things it, I, the, that spoil. The myth was always that Twinkies never, never spoiled, but in fact they do. In a very yeah, I recently normal, learned that that's not true. Very normal amount of time. Yeah, but yeah. isn't there like honey from like maybe I just knew this already and I didn't realize it? But isn't there honey from like ancient Egypt or something? Yeah. So apparently, archaeologists have found sealed pots of honey from Winnie the thousands Pooh. of years ago from Winnie in the ancient Pooh. Egypt. And pardon from Winnie the Pooh. From Winnie the Pooh, who was in fact a, an ancient historical figure. Uh, well, I mean, arguably he is a historical figure because he was a actual toy of Christopher, the actual Christopher Robin. Uh, yeah, like there let's is, stretch, there let's is, stretch the phrase historical figure. To there is a real toys. Winnie the Pooh. Uh, yes. Yeah, he wasn't in ancient Egypt, yes. as far as I know. As far as I know, but I haven't double checked that. Twentieth so. century Britain, I think. I don't want to jump to conclusions on okay. this one. So honey doesn't go bad. Honey doesn't go bad. And archaeologists f- have found honey that was thousands of years old in Egypt. And yummy. And it was said to be edible. But but yummy. Well, yes, because it's like mostly sugar. And it's still sugar. Okay. The thing that I, I, I did a bit of research for this on, to, okay, why does honey not go bad? And yeah. we're not, it's uh, not just that it's like- sugar. Because other sugars you're saying goes bad. The bigger The bigger reason why honey doesn't go bad than the fact that there's a bunch of sugar in it because yeah. there's lots of sweet things that do yeah. go bad yeah. is that there's very little water in it oh and so it's the combination of the fact that it's only 18 percent water and like life generally requires water and oxygen exchange it's also really thick and so in order to have oxygen exchange the thickness of the viscous viscosity of the honey uh discourages that and then it's also slightly acidic so even if there is bits of bacteria or something in the there, acid will um, kill it. the acid will kill it. And so in between... Why do bees make honey? Why do bees make honey? I'm pretty sure it feeds their young. I think it's a way of of, uh, of, of feeding their young. But I that was not part of my, my research. Yeah, it's just it occurred to me that it's weird that I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's, it's not for us. No, <laughs> definitely not for us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's to feed. I think it's so that uh, when the baby bees are born, they have something to eat before they can go out into the world. Yeah, that makes sense. But then yeah. it's yummy. And then, well, I mean, it's yummy because it's um, a uh, highly caloric foodstuff. Yeah, with acid and not a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes it so that it doesn't go bad. The thing about the archaeological findings that i found that, that i did had to do the most work to kind of vet because is with you search honey spoilage and there's 999 articles of people saying archaeologists have found honey for that was that was edible <laughs> thousands of years later i'm like yeah but like how did we know they were it was edible? like did we did eat we it? eat it yeah and so i <laughs> i googled around and this is not proof right this is not like a double blind controlled study yeah. as for our airplane fact yeah. but this this swayed me to think that this is that in fact um 
people did eat it. Okay. Is uh, there were multiple stories on Reddit where people were talking about archaeological things. And somebody said, yeah, I either they are, I am an archaeologist or I was far enough into that path in university that I was on an archaeological site in the ancient in the Middle East or something like that. And we came across honey and uh, or some other thing that was thousands of years old and, and was said to be it. edible and they ate it. Like the, the sense I got from reading these posts from people who claimed to be now, of course, it could be fabricated, but like yeah. it didn't really seem like the kind of the type of thing someone was fabricating for for the, the lulls. For the it was lulls, just like in yeah. a conversation about how things go down in like one archaeological of those site boards it doesn't seem like you would be lying about stuff because it's too boring yeah it's a it's just a little bit too boring for people to be lying about yeah. i think is that people were talking about how or like i got some multiple stories where people were kind of relating oh yeah we found this thing and then the head archaeologist is like all right everybody want to try some and like that like being able to say that you tried some honey and like the honey isn't like historically significant right or whatever the thing i mean i guess it's like still edible my question would be if if like if like archaeology students and like young archaeologists are going out there and they're with someone who's presumably more experienced than them and they come across some ancient honey mm-hmm. and the person leading the tour is like yeah you could totally eat this give it a try this is like a rite of passage for being a young archaeologist yeah my question would be who was the first one to try the ancient honey and how do we know that ancient honey is edible I feel like you know what I mean because I feel like those happened. 1800s archaeologists were pretty. Yeah, they. I mean, they were getting um, curses. Like they, they, yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. think honey was a thing they were worried about. Like they were already brave enough. So they just tried it, and they're like, "Oh, honey doesn't go bad." Like, is there like, did they take this ancient honey and study it? Like, is that how they found the science of this? Like, or they just did that um, modern honey, and they're like, "Here's probably why it doesn't go bad." Yeah, I think they probably just studied the modern honey and and reasoned about it. Um, something that I'll. I'll just give you just a very... Um, Can I buy ancient honey and eat it? So one thing I'll say um, yeah, that you can rib. research more if you want to, but I would maybe... Maybe this is all the information you need on it. This is where it verges from fun fact to is the fact fun, <laughs> which is that um, according to some of these accounts, yeah. um, one of the things that a, a head archaeologist might not tell you or remind you of, or maybe think off the top of their head when they find some ancient honey, is that uh, in some ancient customs, it was a custom where you would um, use honey to preserve remains. Oh, so you might be eating somebody's, like, great, 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 whatever. Yeah, and so there's, like... I don't... Here's my thing. Like, that seems very disrespectful to me. To eat, to eat honey from someone's grave. I mean, like, I feel like if curses were a thing, I feel right. like that would be very likely. I feel like that'd be top ten things that would make you. Not even cursed. if it's someone's remains. It just feels like people go into these places. They find these things from the past. They're just like, ah, well, there's some honey. I'm going to eat it. It just feels disrespectful <laughs> to me. It's like it feels it, very Homer Simpson. Yeah, well, it's like mm, cursed honey. If we're gonna dig this stuff up, it should be for like if if we're gonna dig this stuff up for any reason it should be for preservation so that we can all have a window into the past or whatever right like yeah like like these archaeologists are getting funding on the claim that it's to study history but it's right. really just a scheme for them to eat for honey. them to eat some delicious ancient like honey. that's the whole they've been, wonder, they, they went through university yeah they got all these grants yeah, for the honey all on false pretenses so it really is winnie the pooh i uh i used to <laughs> i was a uh, briefly many years ago i was a expediter you know what that is? Mm. Mm-hmm. And then oh, a, I, my that's the sense in the 
or my sense is that someone works in a restaurant and the kitchen's sending stuff out, but the expediter is making sure that everything get is actually. No, the expediter is the one taking the stuff out. Yeah, taking the stuff out of the kitchen and like making yeah, sure delivering the food to the table and do it typically well, I mean, doing servers. the final. No, no, the yeah, expediters yeah. finishing the last few things on it and then bringing it out to the tables and then bringing oh, okay. the dishes back. Okay, okay. That was, yeah, yeah. That was my okay. job. And then I was a bartender at the same restaurant. And uh, but because I'd been an expediter, I was friendly with the kitchen staff. Hmm. And uh, every year on this was a Italian restaurant in St. Louis, Missouri, owned by an Ethiopian family. So anyone from St. Louis might know which restaurant I'm talking about. Uh, not that I'm not. There's no reason for me to not share the name. I'm just giving everyone a fun like geocache project. But um, at any rate, uh, they would uh, they uh, had a bottle of balsamic vinegar that was like over 100 years old. Okay. It was from the uh, Italian invasion of Ethiopia. Oh, okay. And uh, they would use it for a special dessert that they made on New Year's Eve. Uh, and they would put four drops of the vinegar on each of the the things, wow. the desserts that would come out. And I I was working there, and the chef came and brought me over and told me to stick out my tongue. And then he just like dropped a couple drops directly on my tongue of this balsamic vinegar. Because it turns out the balsamic vinegar ages similar to wine. Right. And okay. it, I was, and it's, ta- it is made similarly. To yeah. Wine, and it? I was tasting yeah. distinct flavor shifts for something like 15 minutes. Oh, wow. It was just like a ludicrous amount of time. It was, it was, it was really, really, really remarkable. So I'm wondering if, uh, you know, gotta get some ancient honey, see what it's like. Yeah. I don't know if it, um, but I'm not going to violate someone's crypt for it. <laughs> no, but if you're already in a crypt, if I was, if Winnie someone Pooh, brought the honey out of your cursed anyway, they'd already eaten it. Like, oh, and you're like, you want a bite? It probably doesn't have remains. Yeah, yeah. If it seemed like a no remains situation, yeah, you like take you do a spot check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a tip to everyone next time you are digging up ancient archaeological sites. <laughs> Believe it or not, I I I do have a fact that in some sense is a uh, ancient related fact. An ancient related fact. Yeah, I mean, you can tell me if it's ancient. I don't know when ancient starts. I feel like ancient is before before Caesar. Oh, well, that's very very interesting, as you'll see in a second. So, fun fact. Emperor Augustus. <laughs> <laughs> that would be after Caesar. Fun fact. The C-section, or Caesarean mm. section. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is okay, not named after the Roman emperor. Okay. So, the okay. Um, that's, uh, that's also, he wasn't an emperor. Caesar wasn't an emperor. Yeah, we can get into that. Okay. <laughs> Which, all right, we're going to get a fact double header. Uh, <laughs> well, so I just realized I've, I've, that he, he was not actually an emperor. Um, I, uh, I've heard before that the Caesarian section was named after Caesar, the not emperor. Yeah. But you're here to set me straight. Tell me more. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. So, uh, Julius Caesar, who you just mentioned. First mm-hmm. of the triumvirate, dictator of Imperial Rome. Yeah. First, first emperor was Augustus, as far as I know. He's a dictator of Imperial, but like no, he was. Well, he imperial. came out. He he is the transition from Republican Rome to Imperial Rome. Oh, actually, okay. Sidebar question is: Can and does it? So, an empire you can have an empire with no emperor. It's not an emperor isn't automatically the person who is leading an empire 
there was he is the he established the emperor empire and left it to augustus who became the first emperor he was never but when you when you establish an empire doesn't never, that kind of make you he was never crowned as emperor bit. he was never he called, wasn't crowned because he established the he empire he was never the emperor they didn't have the title mm, of emperor i feel like for if you him. establish an empire i feel like if i let's say i conquered the entire planet but i don't even know if he conquered any place else i guess he must have. He, did he I assume he did. That kind of seems like the kind of thing he would have done. At any rate, he was. But let's say I established an empire. Yeah, like I just say. take over the whole planet, yeah. minus like one country, because otherwise it's just kind of. And then, and then I, I lead that empire. Yeah. And does that make? Doesn't that make me kind of an emperor? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm not going to. He wasn't an emperor. He was it's a dictator. Okay. All right. Fine. This website that I just found said he was neither a dictator nor an emperor. He was an imperator. But uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like we have, so, have some ro- an entirely Roman different fact. authoritarian ruler follow up. Yeah, it's fun that it, it, so there cesarean there, section <laughs> dur- during the Roman Republic era. There were sometimes dictators, uh, but okay. dictator in the in the Roman sense at that time meant uh, that during times of like basically they were trying to have the best of both worlds during times of crisis uh like like if the covid pandemic had happened in ancient rome they would Mm -hmm. establish a dictator who would have full authority to do anything necessary to end the crisis and the dictator had full power but then would give it back at the end of the crisis okay so they were a dictator but only for some amount of time benevolent dictator for for a period of time emergency measures Yeah. yeah So at any rate, I'm sure that was never abused or or uh, <laughs> made made use of in. Uh, well, he kind of. I mean, he point. was the one. Right? Yeah, he, he crossed the Rubicon, which was when he crossed a oh, literal man. river called the Rubicon. Yes. And uh, anyway, so I I know too much about Julius Caesar, but not enough. I know simultaneously too much and not yeah, clearly because you don't know about imperators and but, yeah. I'm gonna follow up on that because that'd be a fun one to do. Anyway, you're not you're not enough to make a sort of confident uh, guy comments on a podcast. He was, but not enough to then then back up those comments do, with the yeah. actual facts. Yeah, I'm, cesarean sections, which is the thing you actually prepared for, and not right. my random asides. No, but this was fun. So the the reason that you think that he is the namesake of cesarean section other than the fact that they are the same word basically is because supposedly he was born by a c-section and in some versions of the myth he will they will say he was born by the first c-section and it's a it's a very understandable mistake that people make the names as i said the same but yeah it's not actually true for one thing c-sections far predate julius caesar Mm -hmm. and for a second thing he was almost certainly not born that way and mm-hmm. the reason that we know that he was almost certainly not born that way is that until extremely recently, C-sections were unbelievably dangerous. Mm-hmm. The historical mortality rate for mothers of a C-section in a C-section situation was effectively 100% mm-hmm. until the 1600s and 85% until just about the 20th century. Yeah, that's not true. So Julius Caesar's mother, Aurelia, lived well into his adulthood and was one of his political advisors. So very, 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 very unlikely that he was born by a C-section. There is some anecdotal-ish evidence that there were may, may have been survivor, survivors of C-sections in ancient Israel and maybe in ancient Iran and China, but it's all like kind of circumstantial evidence. You have to like read certain books and think that they're right and stuff like that. No one really knows. There is also a... fabulous story of a professional pig castrator who supposedly uh all day every day 40 hours a week (laughs) that's right supposedly performed a successful c-section 
on his wife in 1580s Switzerland. But the first successful C-section here in the United States was in 1794. And until 1865, like I said, the success rate was something like 15%. Modern day C-sections, by contrast, have a bad outcome rate of something like 8 to 9%. So the in the States, other way, in the States that's today. That's extremely high rate. Of people dying? <laughs> Eight percent. Yeah, of bad outcomes. Not those are not all deaths, but yeah. Yeah, I still. Um, I mean, I we have like a high rate of know. people doing C sections, like thirty two percent or something of births in the U S. are by C section. Yeah, my guess would be that that we could that look up uh, up what the numbers in Canada, but it is an area where medical practice has just dramatically improved. The first modern C section, quote unquote, which was using a technique that minimized bleeding. Whoa, what a crazy concept! Was done in eighteen eighty one. And then there were big improvements to that in like 1900, 1912. But anyway, so Julius Caesar, not not a C-section baby. But why then? What's the deal with the name? Right? Mm-hmm. So the name does clearly come from the Romans. They had something called a Lex Caesarea. I'm not even attempting to pronounce it correctly because it's not Caesar in Latin. But it yeah, was, isn't it Kaiser or something like that? Yeah, something like Kaiser, which is where the German Kaiser comes from. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah um, okay. But uh, that Lex Caesarea means an imperial law. And the law was that you had to cut the baby out of a mother who died in childbirth before you could bury her. Okay. Which was ostensibly around a cultural taboo that you shouldn't bury pregnant women, but also probably did save some lives because yeah, they just like okay. would do that. But so why are the names the same? Short answer, nobody knows. Long answer, it's that we're back on unclear etymology corner, which I know is your favorite corner. But there are some fun theories. One theory is that the is that Caesarean comes from the Latin root word cato or sado, meaning to cut. Okay. There's some evidence that one of Julius Caesar's ancestors was born by C-section, and that maybe that's where the family got the name, and that maybe there's confusion over which Caesar was born that way. And that's how we get the modern association with Julius Caesar that like Pliny the Elder wrote about like Caesar being born that way, but didn't say which one. And then people thought it was Julius mm-hmm. Caesar because he's the famous one, but actually it was probably a, an ancestor of his where it actually happened. That's interesting. I didn't realize that Caesar was a family name. I'd always taken it to be like a Roman word for like leader. No, he was from the the Caesar family, Julius Gaius Caesar, the Julian branch of the Caesar family. And so, like, the German Kaiser is named, at, like, the, that, like, position well, so is named after name, the family name. Yeah, once he became the first... It became synonymous. Ruler, yeah, but once he stopped it, it became the word for uh, emperors after him. Right. Augustus Caesar, and then became the word in certain languages for a ruler. Huh. Yeah. Uh, but... As with all these things, we can find even more complexity if we dig deeper. Of course. And I found a list of four potential ways that the Caesar family got their name. You got to read it like a David Letterman thing, though. <laughs> Top four ways the Caesar yeah. family might have got their name. Top and then we can do a drum roll. Ways the Caesar family might have gotten their name. Now, reason number one. You got to count. You got to get count from four to one, though. Oh, excuse me. Reason number four. <laughs> because they slew an elephant in battle. And in the Moorish tongue, elephants are called Caesai. Okay. Yeah. So, number four. Number three, because of the C-section, debunked Thing. C-section yeah. theory. Mm-hmm. Number two, because he had a thick head of hair. Caesaris is a Latin term for hair when he was born. Okay. 
And the number one top reason that the Caesar family got their family name was because he had bright gray eyes. Caesus is Latin for blind, and gray eyes may refer to glaucoma. Oh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it probably wasn't the hair one. <laughs> By the way, in German, they call a C-section a Kaiserschnitt, which is like a Kaiser <laughs> cut. Yeah. Okay. Probably not the hair one. You don't think it was the hair one? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, but it seems a little tenuous. The the um, f- follow up for on this question of what is when does ancient start? Yeah. Um, so you put it at Caesar, and I had a Caesar fact. So is that an ancient Caesar fact, fact or a non-ancient fact? Um, I, I my very quick googling, the answer is there's no agreed upon standard, but that people will use uh, lines such as, uh, and also it will depend sometimes on the. Uh, which culture that people are talking about and or like which civilization well, if it gets all the way to 650 ad then it definitely includes caesar yeah it's, it seems like like somewhere in between caesar and the medieval times starting yeah, we transition is when we went from i ancient. think a lot so of western sources seems like caesar is ancient yeah and leonardo uh, da vinci is not ancient not ancient yet, somewhere in between there yeah i i, I know a lot of western countries use like the fall of the western roman empire in whatever right. 515 or whatever it is uh or that's the founding or four, four something 476 yeah it was founded in 515 bc that was where i got the 515 i know too much about the roman empire i'm like that tiktok meme except that i don't <laughs> except that i don't think about it that often how often do you i don't think about that i only think about it like every few days yeah but like you, think but about you it must think about it more often way more than me no 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 you think about it way more than me. i basically never think about it but i did listen to a phenomenal podcast many years ago called history of rome which is a mike duncan podcast who also did the excellent podcast revolutions uh, and wrote two great books one called the storm before the storm which is about what period of time 2016 america is if you look at the roman mm-hmm. empire mm-hmm. Sure. and in his theory right sure that's not Not the period of julius caesar but Mm -hmm. the period one generation before that with the uh the the gracchi at any rate uh i thought it would be like way after caesar where like things are just going to no obviously not hell and everyone's no because the republic hasn't fallen we're still a republic yeah yeah uh he then wrote a book called hero of two worlds about the marquis de lafayette but i have not read that oh yeah, that seemed. I'm curious about that. Yeah, he, I liked his first title better for it, though. He's going to call it Citizen Lafayette, which I thought was a better title. Anyway, shout out Mike Duncan, one of my all-time favorite podcasters and a true OG of the history podcast genre. Nice. Yeah. I've got additional fact for you. It doesn't, I can't think of any way. It is not ancient. It's not even a little bit ancient. Not, well, I'll be the judge of that. Okay, you tell me how ancient this is. Yeah, how ancient is it? I have a banking-related fact. I'll let you know how ancient it is. <laughs> banking banking's ancient yeah so this uh comes out of the fact that when i was a kid my mom was a bank teller oh i didn't know and that. remember the apprehension about a new invention called the automated teller machine oh it, wow she was apprehensive about it well I th- it, there was kind of um a general apprehensiveness in that field about all the like the job losses and like you know this thing is getting automated automating our our jobs away yeah okay um, well, fun fact, since the invention of the ATM in the 1970s, yeah. the number of humans employed as bank tellers has actually increased huh. rather than pr- the predicted decimation of jobs. Yeah. 
Uh, that well, good for your mom. Although I don't know if that's what she's doing at this point. Well, I think she that. got some good advice, or I don't. I mean, it turned out to be neutral advice, but like she got some advice, like, oh, maybe you should move into some other part of the bank's operations so that you don't get replaced by these machines. Uh-huh. Um, so she moved into like the loans department, um, which is not quite to the point yet. You just walk up to a machine and then it spits out a mortgage. So that uh, that that kind of protects that her. That worked out well for she got the double her. protection on her. Um, but this it was interesting to me because I kind of took it for granted and maybe like this is a unique perspective as someone who is old enough to remember like ATMs becoming like a more common and more popular um, over time. And like th- like ads like we had in Canada, there's a bank um, that had the Johnny Cash branded cash machine. What? The, That's yep, genius, the Johnny Cash also, machine. What? Yep. It was actually there's there ads with Johnny Cash for Canadian ATMs. Um, Did he get paid off that? I mean, I'm pretty sure. Like, licensed? I think he would have done the commercial for. Yeah, yeah. Like he was in the commercial. That's amazing. Okay, now I want to find it. Okay. Ooh. You know, friends, waiting in line for your money isn't fun. It's not. Canada funny, Trust has a better idea. Their Johnny Cash money machines are open. Johnny Cash hours a day, machine, all seven one word. days a week. That's Probably right. because it had to be a separate trademark. Hours a day, seven days a week. I want a supercard. Yeah, so when this this world where they're they're putting ads on TV, like uh, Johnny Cash that. says, "Don't wait in line to talk to a no, human teller." Why would you do that? But people yeah, did you, because then there were more people. Well, what ended up happening is something that, um, and there's an article here which I, I can link up um, by Patrick McKenzie that kind of goes into this uh, sort of the mechanisms behind this, but uh, the dynamic, and there's also a study. Um, uh, it came out in 2015 that he cites that kind of has the data behind this. But what happened is that as there were fewer tellers in each branch necessary to serve just the basic needs of day-to-day banking rather than the higher value things like opening accounts and things like that, uh-huh. that made each branch more profitable, which made it worthwhile to open more branches Oh, to the point that more total people were employed being bank tellers, even though um, there was more automation that's really fascinating because it increased basically demand yeah for the non-automated work right because people needed people had more banking stuff they were doing than they had than they some of those banking things were non-automatable yes and so more bank branches existed and more banking i guess was being done yeah that's fascinating and and something that I didn't realize until reading this article, which again I'll link, is that the mental model, according to this article, which is very um, like it makes sense to me um, or credible, I should say, is that the like primary motivation for a bank to open branches is so that they not so that the current customers can go to the, get deposits and do their daily banking, even though that's like nice. Yeah. The, the biggest motivation is so that they can sign new accounts. Why is signing new account? Well, because you need a place to go to sign your like these days you can actually sign up online, but that probably isn't what most people do. Yeah, a huge percentage of new bank accounts are signed up in person, and a huge yeah. percentage of those are affected by someone going, "Okay, well, I just need a bank account." Yeah, um, there's a bank right there. The, where is there a bank? Either I walk, I walk by it. it all the time, or I just ha- I know, or maybe I look up what's near me, and 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 if somebody's like, "Well, there isn't any," I've heard good things about whatever this bank yeah. um but i uh there isn't really anyone any near me so maybe I, i'll go with this other one and so the physical presence of the branch is a big 
um, like driver of new account openings. And people don't tend to close bank accounts. Yeah. Once you have a bank account, um, it, it has a very long like average yeah. lifetime. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of it's actually kind of a sales tool. And so the fact that they can run branches more cheaply means that they tend to have more of them, which has driven um, more employment in the face of automation, which I found really kind of interesting and counterintuitive. Yeah, that is fascinating. I'm happy again for your mother, although it didn't matter. Yeah, in in the end, <laughs> she 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 diversified. But I I think this this um, fact has come back to mind recently in some of the conversations that are happening about the automation that's coming from AI and large language models. Something which, very pertinent to you, which is pertinent to me. I've been doing some exploration with those technologies, and certainly, I don't mean this to say. Uh, oh well, therefore nobody should be worried, and don't worry, no jobs. <laughs> Everyone will just have more no, jobs. Actually be more artists. Yeah, they're going to be yeah, way more artists. There's going to be way more of all the things. There's going to be way more people just moving data from one spreadsheet yeah, to yeah, another. Yeah. It's really good like, for data entry jobs, I think, yeah, is the exactly. number one. Paralegals are going to be far more. Yeah. Um, no, there, there's going to be definitely some jobs that are are massively changed in the sort of uh, horseless carriage sort of way yeah. by these tools. But I personally, like, I have this intuitive sense, and I think examples like this back up the plausibility of the argument that there's some jobs that there's actually going to be more people doing them today even though they're jobs that are partially replaced by ai Mm. um because because the entire this is the theory that like when apple comes into your market it's not necessarily a bad thing because more people overall will want a insert thing here and then your ebook reader will get more sales than it was before even if it's lower than apple's gonna make Right. Yeah. And in it's sort of similar in that way. It's more, I think, directly in line with arguments where it's like um, because it affects supply and demand. Right. And so it's one of those things where if something decreases the cost of a good. I mean, it's it's in line with many other financial things where um, we have like mass production. Right. Mm-hmm. Think about it as like, OK, well, how many people did we're, we're making cars before the assembly line right right, right. and there's all these jobs and people are hand making these cars yeah. and they're putting the, they're screwing on the bolts or whatever yeah. and then when henry ford is like uh okay i'm gonna use these assembly lines automate everything automate everything presumably there were people who were upset that like oh you're automating away our jobs there's gonna be fewer jobs for people assembling cars and in the case that and in some cases that's true and then you end up with this factory with no one working in it but in the case of cars at least in the medium and still current term there are way 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 more people building cars today with all the automation and all the factory uh wizardry and giga casts and all that crap than there was in 1890 or 1910 or whatever when they started Started doing the assembly line because it decreased the cost of buying the thing so much. It decreased the consumption cost so much that the like clearing price for the like it just there's so much more demand at that new lower price that yeah. way more people could be employed at the new higher production, higher capacity. Nineteen thirteen, um, by the way. 1913, um, in, in the new highly more efficient way. And yeah. so I think it's an interesting kind of thought experiment. Um, or just exercise to think about your, either your own industry or if you're talking to people who are at the beginnings of their careers and they might be asking like, oh, what kind of um, work do I want to be doing to think, um, kind of think through not just, okay, well, could AI do some of the things that somebody with that job today or your job or certain jobs in your your company could do today, but also think, 
if that job was partially automated and therefore each person who is doing that job could get way more done, like 10 times as much could get done by that person, let's say, then how might that change demand for that thing? Right. It just it so much increases demand that it right, all, all everyone's ship is risen or whatever. Yeah, in that particular role. Like one of the things that I, I don't know which way it'll go with this one, but one of the ones I find interesting is like customer support because mm. you have already have companies starting to someone who runs a company that is working on and, and has in production like LLM, like ChatGPT fueled customer support. And so it's like, well, it seems obvious like, oh, okay, well, there's all these people. It's extremely common job customer support. There's all these people who are going to lose their jobs doing customer support for this. But something that, I mean, this may or may not be true, but it, it seems plausible to me that if these uh, chat agents, these language models can make it so customer support is way faster and way higher quality um, and way cheaper, then you could imagine customer support being something you like actually use way more of, right? Like you, People you would are have to willing to. Yeah. I have to be in in desperate straits to contact right. customer support for an airline or yeah. a telephone company, right? Like, I really don't want to. Even if it's like, <laughs> man, I have a legitimate problem. The service isn't working quite correctly. Yeah. I'd like to change something. I'm like, oh, how can I not interact with the service infrastructure of this I just want to point out to everyone, I don't know how much of this is going to make the show, but you just all sh- should know. Alan really, really thinks and talks about this stuff a lot. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I think I've been well behaved. I don't know if I've even brought this up on the show. No, no. But once the flood, once the gate opened, the you know the floodwaters came. It's all. I mean, you're not wrong. I will just say this. I hope that uh, we use this incredible technology to eliminate drudgery jobs, mm-hmm. not to eliminate like beautiful paintings. It just seems way more fun to like do the background drawings of an anime or something. Yeah, this is one of the common sort of categories of objection to ai or language models in general which is that they will destroy all creativity they'll destroy creativity you won't be able to get a job being creative anymore which i don't think is true i mean my instinct is that humans inherently get value out of creation and i think you know there is complicated obviously and there are going to be some people who are currently well employed doing creative things that maybe those things might be less employable yeah. Um, but my my instinct is that how's the vaudeville we, scene doing yeah well or or something like um pottery right like there's probably a lot of there's probably fewer people making pots by hand today oh I uh, than there was yeah. uh before machines could yeah. make pots but also i feel like we've come in waves of like artisanal pottery as my like wife a thing is a you ceramicist can, you know your so your wife is a ceramicist uh, right? there's there's a need for the high end and so that I think it's the low end that is is not worth doing by hand. There's the low end, and then also things that are like extremely labor intensive, and therefore maybe are capable. Are, are there's like some gatekeeping, like maybe certain types of creativity that you have to be super super trained or super specialized to be able to do. Maybe more people will be able to do. Therefore, there's and that's happened with music, right? Like there's watches. Sure, you you know there's still watch movements that are so fiendishly complicated to make that they are extraordinarily expensive if you want one. Right, it's not just like the factory just pumps them out. Right, even though they're less accurate than potentially than an like Apple a quartz. Or, or, or yeah, like, yeah. like a Timex or something, but they're yeah. so beautiful. They're like some of the most complex, you know, mechanical machinery ever made. 
and and so there's something beautiful to that if that's what you like yeah and like obviously it's it's very um it's very easy for me to say like oh there'll be still still be creative stuff because like i'm a programmer that does creative stuff in my free time so like i am not nearly as threatened by this so i'm very aware that there's a lot of people who very reasonably are very concerned it's gonna do all your programming um yeah well i mean i am the there's two categories of programmers there's the people who program because they enjoy typing the programs and then there's people who program because they like making the stuff to be made and then play around with stuff they made and i'm the second category so i'm this sort of category that is like sweet a thing that can make me build the thing faster yeah. whereas my my I, my instinct or i know tell me if this is true is that you actually care a little bit more about the making of the thing uh than you probably yeah not then i mean you know I'm not over here like whittling my spoons by hand or anything, but yeah, I you know unrolling my loops the old-fashioned way, pure assembly, but uh, artisanal swift. That's <laughs> it. You know, it kind of depends on what what it is you're trying to do. I don't really want to talk about my day job, but uh, it, I think it just depends on what it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, which is a very vague answer that helps helps no one. Are we still making a <laughs> podcast right now? Are we, is this the show? <laughs> Do we have an ending? Uh, well, the ending is um, really, and this is the fundamental. We were, they're all fired because GPT replaced the audience. They're fired because G- <laughs> <laughs> no. The reason there's no audience left is because they ate the cursed honey. Oh, and now it's just you and I, and we've diverged I into talking out, about program. Passed out the honey. We shouldn't have told them. No. Yeah. I would advise against eating cursed honey. That's my... Like, like normal ancient honey, it's fine. To be clear, ancient I don't, means don't before any of the, the ancient of honey. the Western Roman. Don't eat no, it. No, if it's not cursed, it's fine. It's still shelf sale. It's still yummy. And this show can legally claim that you will be fine and there won't be any consequences. I wonder if the honey, like, actually tastes different. Because, you know, like, think about, I'm thinking back to the bananas and stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, 2,000 years is not really enough time for evolution but like what if there was a different like family of bees that was very prominent in egypt that has since died out and they're not the same bees that we have in like the north america well i mean i think i think even just what they make the honey from were they eating distance what were they doing how are they making the honey so i would be interested in trying the the 2000 year old honey just for that reason just like if they if they could give me a banana from the banana stuff that rotted that we have the fake banana flavor of, I'd be like, cool. I want to try what that banana tasted like. Yeah, and the same with the honey with honey and balsamic vinegar. Yeah. So what's the moral of the story? <laughs> uh, don't eat the honey unless it. Unless but unless you, maybe the bees are different and they're eating different stuff, and then you unless want, you want to try it, don't eat the cursed honey. Don't eat the see. I feel like we're converging on. Yes. Don't eat the cursed honey. Don't eat the cursed honey. Just eat the weird bee honey. Just eat the weird bee honey. Thank you.